What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a religion Broadcasting premier podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and here's your host, Robert Winfrey, yay! Now, Mark, I really needed your head to rotate 360 degrees during the course of that intro to sell the gimmick, but... Before this goes any further... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't have pea soup. I do have, you know, my beer. But um, we are joined from the Pleasure Parish, ladies and gentlemen, Father Freaky himself, <laughs> Torian Price, back on the show again. How do you do, sir? Uh, not too bad. How are we all feeling today? Well, I was feeling okay. Then I saw the movie. And, you know, that's kind of <laughs> left a pretty serious cloud hanging over my head. Yeah, speaking of vomiting pea soup, tonight we are reviewing The Exorcist Believer. And the Exorcist Believer, almost as bad as the Imagine Dragon song, is a 2023 American supernatural horror film directed by horror's greatest monster of the modern filmmaking era, David Gordon Green. Hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm trying to see if I'm going to disagree with that sentiment, and I'm not sure I am. I'm not sure I am. Ten years ago, rolling the Rolodex. <laughs> But yeah, ten years ago it would have been Uwe Boll, but but true. Yeah. <laughs> Good David, the less said about Uwe Boll, the better. David, rah rah, we're an angry mob. Rah rah, my name is Bob Gordon Green. I'm never letting that go. By the way, no, you're real not. Quick, real quick, Damien, go after this. 
I need you to do two things. I need you to do like a kind of like a film like marathon fest. Like grab grab your partner, spin her around, do si do, and sit her down and watch Halloween Kills, but then also watch the last My Little Pony movie from Netflix. Like and you'll understand, after- yeah, and you'll understand that these movies are like intimately connected. <laughs> so Mark wound up seeing them very close to each other, and because Halloween Kills features protracted sequences of mob activity, he latched onto a song from that particular MLP <laughs> movie for the yep. back half of Halloween Kills, and for the well, back the, half of 2022. The possession, wrong. the possession storyline, and the devil storyline is already getting to Mark because for those of you who are listening, he just called me Damien and not Dorian. Did I? Yeah, you did. did. I'm sorry, Steve. Um, anyway. No problem, bro. <laughs> uh, who co-wrote the screenplay with Peter Sattler from a story by Scott Teams, Danny McBride, and Green. The sixth installment in the Exorcist franchise, it serves as a sequel to The Exorcist 1973. The film stars Leslie Odom Jr., Lydia Jewett, Olivia O'Neill in her film debut, Jennifer Nettles, Norbit, mm, Norbit, mm, Nelly, Leo Butts, and Anne Dowd alongside Ellen Bernstein and Linda Blair reprising their wait, roles. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just call Ellen Burstyn Ellen Bernstein? I did because I wanted to do that little musical bit. Um, <laughs> reprising their roles from the original film. Its plot, follow, if you can call it that, follows a photographer who must confront the nadir of evil when his daughter and her best friend are possessed. Uh, all right. I have... Never seen The Exorcist. If you guys start like bullying me and shoving me into the locker because I didn't see the horror film, the greatest horror film of all time, leave me alone. Occasionally, the puck gets up there. Occasionally, the puck gets past me. And that's just not one I saw as a kid and then didn't find a reason to see it as an adult. And then this movie came out, and in the pre-social era, we were going to do an on-trial of it, but I ain't got that kind of time anymore. So, no, I have never seen The Exorcist. But Damien, Dorian, David, uh, Daffodil, you, however, you, however, have uh, an intimate familiarity with The Exorcist franchise, yes? Yes, all three. Well, then this one, so fall four. Okay, so what do you think? I, I appreciate you disavowing certain of them. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about how you came to The Exorcist, your thoughts on it, because I think this movie in particular, an understanding of the original Exorcist movie and the at least the third uh, sequel, you you can go into it like I did cold and just appreciate it for what it is. But I think also comparing it to the original, there's a discussion to be had. So let's get some context here. Um, yeah. So uh, The Exorcist comes out uh, originally in 1973, uh, based off of the William Peter Blatty book of the same name. Uh, Blatty actually did help out on uh, the screenplay um, with, uh, obviously, director William Friedkin. Um just some behind the scenes notes before I get into like the context of it. Uh, this movie is the first horror film ever to get close to winning best picture probably uh, should have it did uh it did uh get the nod for best picture in uh, uh that next year's oscars uh if, sadly did not win if memory serves was, the sting won that year did it not i think so yeah and there were there were actually a lot of people that were upset because especially of you know like the younger generation who you know horror films you know still to this day are very much pointed at so again had i been alive that would have been my my generation was there 
was there a fat nerd screaming into the void make a populist choice for the exorcist not so much a fat <laughs> nerd screaming it was a bunch of like teenagers and young adults going of course the old person movie won i mean come yeah, on so. guys of course, you know, the movie the... with Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Robert Shaw won. Right. Those <laughs> Appropriately so. I mean, it, to be fair, like The Sting's a perfectly good movie. I, I rather enjoy it, but my vote would have been for the my vote would have been for The Exorcist for the record. Okay. Why don't you cry yeah, about yeah, it on so Twitter? The uh the, the movie cry. does really well um in for with audiences. Again, a lot of people were uh, taken out very scared. Uh there was a whole um newspaper or news coverage of people saying it was horrible. Um, evangelist Billy Graham has my favorite quote on the original <laughs> movie, and that is the celluloid it was filmed on was possessed by the devil. Okay, we're done. I'm good. <laughs> I, I have all I needed to hear tonight. <laughs> go home. Good night, folks. <laughs> here we go. You know what? Here we go. <laughs> that Sadly, is amazing. <laughs> Sadly, the story doesn't end there. Uh, several years later, um, I want to say six, but don't quote me. Um, or um, oh god, I'm gonna forget the director's name. Um, he did Zardoz. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I will look it up because I know who you're talking about, but the name escapes me. Just I'll find it. Keep going. Gotcha. So uh, we get Exorcist to the Heretic. Uh, this movie fails on so many John, levels. I've John Boomin. John so, Borman, yeah. I've listened, I've been listening to, I was telling Robert this earlier, I listened to the critically acclaimed guys review The Exorcist Believer. If you don't know who they are, people watching, we have a live audience. It's a podcast, mm -hmm. two, um, two uh, movie reviewers of some renown, Whitney Seibold and William Bibiani. Um, they write for Slash Fiction and The Rap, and uh, uh, Whitney Seibold has actually been on my show because I'm a celebrity. Anyway, um, and they were talking about how, like, you know, people like one, people like three, and two is like an acid-induced fever dream from another dimension. Oh, it's oh, yeah. like, it is like one of these things is not like the other. One of these things is dead. Like <laughs> it is so bizarre. One of these things should never have been made. Um, <laughs> very true. But um, yeah. So um, second movie is basically the biggest problem fans of the Exorcist series have with the second one is it basically undoes everything we fought so hard for in the first one. Because, spoiler alert, <clears throat> um, at the very end, um, Marx von, Marx, man, the Max von Sydow's uh, priest is killed in a fight with the demon with its off screen. Uh, and then Father Karras comes in. He's the younger priest. He's been struggling with his faith uh, the entire movie. He gets into a one-on-one -on -one with the demon. Going so far as, because you have to remember, this is like an eight, nine-year-old girl that's been possessed by this demon. Mm -hmm. They start actually grappling, physically grappling. He pulls her out of bed and starts punching her in the <laughs> face in the original movie, in the one everyone yeah. loves. Right. Uh, ends up getting the demon into him, throws himself out the window onto the very iconic set of stairs um, that I think we've all seen. If you haven't, even if you haven't seen The Exorcist, you know what the stairs look like. Right. So the second movie is basically, well, Pazuzu's still in there. We didn't do the job right. Uh, or there's like a, a um, it's not very focused on how this is happening. It's either like a memory or there's like like emotional or spiritual scars that there is mm -hmm. a Pazuzu's Some, Reagan. Somehow Pazuzu returned. Dark Secrets of the Sith. Right. Um, <laughs> God, Exorcist God 2 Heretic. Yeah, Ex Exorcist 2 Heretic uh, coming this, uh, this fall in Clone Wars Season 20. Um, 
so the movie bombs very hard. Um, and uh, although th there are good points of it, you get to see James Earl Jones in a gigantic sure. mantis or not mantis locust costume. Yay. Don't buy the movie. Don't watch it. Just get on YouTube and put on Exorcist 2, James Earl Jones. You don't have to type further than that. It'll know yeah. what you're talking about. You can yep. see the scene and go home. Okay. So if I go to a Halloween party this year, I'm going as James Earl, James Earl Jones in the Locust costume, but also in blackface. Dang, you're going as James Earl Jones. We don't know him. Mark. <laughs> so obviously, uh, that movie bombs hard. However, uh, William Peter Blatty had technically written a a um a sequel book to The Exorcist, which mentions the events of the first book. However, serves more as I would say a spiritual sequel. It's in the same universe, mm -hmm. but we're not you know we're still we're not hanging out Way with Reagan. characters. Yeah, um, the only character that returns from the first movie is our detective. Um, this time, played by General Patton himself. Oh, okay. Um. And uh, not the actual General Patton, but um, no, we're, we're with you, buddy. <laughs> no, that's just for the audience. who are like uh, General Patton would be. He went into he went into acting, did he? <laughs> Revisionist history here on Damn You Hollywood. Um, but no, it's actually it's, it's more of a uh, supernatural murder mystery. Um, standout mm -hmm. performances, um, obviously, are a very young Brad Dourif, who other horror fans will know, obviously, as the man behind Chucky, the voice of Chucky. Uh, he plays the Gemini killer, who is a character that our detective had killed in in uh, in battle years ago uh, while hunting him uh, during his serial killer reign. And now this this body is back and it's it's possessed. Uh, Will and Peter Blatty, the author of The Exorcist, actually steps into the director's chair on this one. Uh, it is a good watch. It is a good watch. Get the director's cut. It's a little longer, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, when we not. Exorcist 3 has one of the, like, five best jump scares in cinema history. Which, yeah, I don't want to spoil for anyone who hasn't seen, because it's worth seeing the it's first time. It's great. I'm sorry? My understand it's a great jump scare. Oh, yeah. My understanding of The Exorcist is this. This is yet another example, and this is sort of a teachable moment in film. Your movie can have stuff in it. Your Your, your stuff couldn't be sort of the centerpiece of it. You know, it's right there, right in the middle of the table for everyone to sort of, you know, appreciate and love and admire. But it's not what it's about. It's a, you know, it, in the case of the exorcists, I've been made to understand it, and I wanted your your guys to weigh in on this. It is about family. It's about the relationship between this mother and daughter. It is about uh, the mother trying to save this daughter and sort of the inherent. You know, I don't know if hysteria is the right word, but like the, um, you know, the fear of like what is wrong with my daughter and all like just wanting as a parent. To do, to do what you can for your child. There is a possession in the movie. It is the centerpiece, but it is not what The Exorcist is really about. And I make that point because the problem with a lot of modern movies relating to The Exorcist Believer and also The Exorcist is that they think that the centerpiece is what the movie is about. And what you end up is a very shallow, sort of vapid representation of a beloved classic. And it goes to a very common thing that we talk about on the show all the time. People don't know why something is popular. They just know that it is. And so they just make the thing that they think is popular and it misses the point entirely. There's Absolutely. a there's a kind of famous um, sound bite that gets tossed around on occasion. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, two of them. One of them is a, it's a video clip of a nice guy doing a reading of the definition of foreshadowing. That occasionally gets thrown into video essays when they're using foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, because, you know, foreshadowing is a narrative device where it hints are placed for things that are about to come. The other and more relevant here is, and I think it's a gag, but it's a writer. It's like a somebody playing a famous writer who says, I know writers who use subtext. They're all cowards. And... <laughs> We live in a world that is devoid of the ability to read subtext, it seems. And now you're partially right about the exorcist. You know, there is a lot of familial anxiety there, especially in some mm-hmm. of the um, it's really tapped into in a lot of the medical scenes where it's like taking the kid back to the doctor, back to the hospital. Here's another test. Right. I just want to know what's wrong. And right. that's a very real anxiety people have dealt with. The other major centerpiece emotionally and thematically of the exorcist is the loss and search for faith you, you again one of our primary characters there is a priest struggling with his faith who you know lost mm-hmm. it and is kind of going through the motions and the act he actually loses his, he loses his mother earlier in the movie yeah. so him and uh chris mcneil ellen bernson's character kind of have this this opposite side she's losing her daughter but he's lost his mom yeah. so they kind of come together and in a very beautiful but rare hollywood moment there's no romance between them it's we have a a thing to fight we have no time to you know go make let out me, let me jump in here with that because you know i i and i don't want to go off on a tangent with this we are we are a movie review podcast but we t- occasionally we'll touch on the greater subjects that plague man the greater subjects I, the great no we're not doing that again um first of all for first of all david's not here don't steal his gimmick um but i you know i've been thinking about in, in a increasingly secular Sort of um not atheist but uh agnostic world secular's correct like it's yeah. we're going down the tubes man <clears throat> with well I, I don't want to get i don't want to get into like a whole like judgy thing because we all have the three of us just the three of us alone represent different perspectives on religion so i i don't want and i don't want to have that debate what i want to get across to people listening to the podcast tonight is that when you make a movie in the 1970s about the loss and and finding a faith, you know, through the through the story of this possession, you have somebody who is lost in the wilderness and comes to find faith at the end. It's very hard to now tell that story in a world where that is a foreign concept to most people. Um, it's an argument that I get into with my dad. Again, I don't want to get into a huge thing here, but to to make a point, the the thing that my dad and I fight about when it comes to religion is he doesn't see the relevance or the importance of any religion. And he's very fond of quoting 
the devil, you know, the, the greatest trick that the devil ever played on humanity was tricking into believing it God was real or some bullshit like that. Any case, the greatest trick, trick like, the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That's the, actual the one quote. Yeah, thank you. Oh, uh, and hang on. As a brief mm -hmm. aside, because I know we have wrestling fans here that occasionally mm -hmm. watch our stuff. Because that phrase has been bandied about the professional wrestling world lately, and it sends Twitter into a tizzy of, oh, CM Punk said this once, so that means he's going to show up. You idiots, that was part of the cultural zeitgeist 20 years before Punk was born, I beg of you. Consume media other than men oiled up in spandex, rubbing against each other. To quote the great Patton Oswald, read a book, you leptons. Um, but, <laughs> but my point is, I... it. And I think this goes to, because we, we need to get into the plot after this shortly, but I think it goes to my major problem with this movie is that if you're not, if you're not understanding the importance of any faith, this is not an evangelical podcast, I am not trying to sway anyone, but I think recognizing the structural and cultural importance of any faith is paramount. And if you, if you don't believe, you don't believe, but I think it does have its place in society for many people. And when you don't even recognize that, when you can't acknowledge it, when you don't even realize the importance of it, but then you go and make a movie, yeah, sure. You're, you're, <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I don't want to always compare everything to porno, but I was just like, I'm watching The Exorcist Believer, and I'm like, this is like the porn version of an Exorcist movie, where it's like you're just kind of watching the thing happen, and then the thing is done, and then that's the end of the movie, and you're like, this... <laughs> This is, you're missing the point. The point isn't the action. The point is the journey. And there's no journey here. There was a journey in the 73. You look like you're like chomping at the bit, Dorian. So say your thing. No, sorry. I, I, uh, this shirt is actually a little big for me. So it like, it keeps, like, <laughs> like I don't want to say anything. I'm choking. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Do you guys want to just weigh in on that? Or do you want to jump into the plot synopsis? Uh, go ahead, Dorian. You go first. I, I, got, saying, something, I, I got something I, to say. Uh, I, I definitely agree with you. The only thing I'd add is that the um, the Exorcists, um, both uh, both the first and the third one have big elements of the destruction of innocence yeah. and mm -hmm. that 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 attack on that, which which really brings anyone that is is in any way a sane or any in near even near balanced human being to the same plate because none of us want to see kids hurt. You know, we don't well, want to see families hurt. Again, without going off into much of a tangent, which we're dangerously close to, that is one of my biggest problems with cultural relativism is that it doesn't acknowledge the importance of preserving innocence. And that is a huge problem with the tearing asunder of the cultural fabric. Uh, well, can we just say the, the I hate having to you say can the blurt the obvious, but I don't want to do 20 I'll, hours on this. I'm not going to not doing 20 hours. Again, I've got something to say relative to your point, but yeah, go ahead. It, there's nothing wrong with saying not all cultures are created equal. We've created them. Like they, they are the amalgamation of the people that have uh, that inhabit them. Some of them are better than others. And culture has nothing to do with ethnicity. People have aligned themselves that way historically for any number of reasons, mostly geographic throughout human history. But we're at a point now when it's not again, it's not ethnic. It, it's purely cultural and not all cultures are created equal. Some of them are some of them suck. Some of them don't, <laughs> and not going to get into it any further than that. That's just kind of where we are at the moment as a society. No, but I feel like you, I feel like your new gimmick should be. I, I was like, I'm going to say what I want to say, and I fear not the consequences. Just so I can put that on a T-shirt now. <laughs> Damn you, Hollywood! We fear not the consequences. I fear not the consequences of man at a bare minimum. Um, just <laughs> kind of to your to your point very briefly about 
you know, what it takes to kind of make some of these movies good. Because spoiler, this movie is not good. <laughs> we, you and I, Mark, <laughs> talked a little. You and I talked a little bit about um, sort of like why possession movies are so difficult to get right, especially in the modern age. When we talked about Pray for the Devil not that long ago. Th- th- yeah, for, if, for those listening to me for the first time, because we always have new people watching now, we're getting popular. Um, we, last year, what was it? The the what was the name of the movie again? Pray for the Devil. Yeah, we myself, Robert, and Jason Teasley last year reviewed Pray for the Devil. It's in the archive. It's a good listen for just the discussion on the on the historical film presence of exorcisms and why exorcism exorcist movies are not easy to make. So check that out it's in our archive. Uh, and we savaged that one too, but oh, and the your... clips of that discussion specifically are on my TikTok. My TikTok. To to kind of the point, um, and the loss of innocence is a big one. The other problem that you run into with this movie in particular, this we'll get into craft, and I promise I'll save it for that point to elab to uh, elaborate. The the manner in which you have to fight evil. And at a bare minimum, whatever you want to define evil as, I, I would like to think bare minimum, the corruption and destruction of innocence is that which is like, that's your definition of evil. You that's can, fair. it seems fairly elementary to me. <laughs> that's part of it. And yet it escapes the, 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 the cultural conversation on a very grand scale. It really does. But that's where we are. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to get all, not to get too religious, but it is sadly prophesied for a long time that in the last days men call evil good and good evil, and boy, are we getting there. And not at Go a on. slow pace either. It accelerates that that curve. It's <laughs> it goes up at the end. <laughs> All right. So the plot of this thing. So first up, we follow a pregnant woman and her husband. Her husband is Vin- Vincent, um, our main protagonist. They are in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and nothing bad's ever happened there, right? No, not at all. Haiti is oh, practically he, he, his, his name is Victor. Victor. <laughs> I knew it was a V. You were uh, close. Victor. Uh, and they're in Port-au-Prince, and it just so happens to be they are vacationing. They're taking photos. Again, she's pregnant. They're having a good time. And that giant earthquake that ravaged Haiti a handful of years back hits. And as, this, as that scene was, ha- like, they said it in Haiti, and I went, would they? No, they did. And, I, and hang on. And I had a moment of pause, like, okay, they're doing this. Has it been? Like, there's that there's the South Park joke. Like, has it been long enough? Can we make joke? Can we use this? I think you can do. And hang I on. think you can talk. Hang on. I think you can talk about a tragic circumstance a lot sooner when no one cares about the country or the incident. <laughs> Just saying it, huh? Um, I fear. I fear not the consequences. Well, look, the earthquake in question took place in 2010, so we're 13 years on. At that point, I do think it's fair game to set something mm-hmm. during that time period. It's not It's not purely exploitative. And let's this put is- it this way. If you Let's put it this way, just, just not to go too much on a tangent here, but how many years after September 11th did we get September 11th movies? Because it was real short. Five or six, I want to say. Then the there's world- your line. <laughs> World Trade Center was pretty darn close too. Yeah, yeah. I was like, if you're, I, if that, if that sets your bar, and I think it does, then you're good at five, six years. 
So, so we're good there. I, I just had to take a moment, partially because like time has become weird. Like we've all lost mm-hmm. perspective. Like again, ten to twenty-three doesn't feel like thirteen years for some odd reason. Right. We did kind of lose two years in there. We lost <laughs> a lot more. We lost more than that. But... Well, yeah, but it's like COVID alone kind of reset True. everyone's brain to be like, wait, it's not still twenty twenty. <laughs> Little no, bit. We, you, know? you gotta come back with me, Marty. <laughs> yeah, we're. Uh... Yeah, the 80s are 40 years ago. That's <laughs> that's where we are. But so they they're there for this earthquake and um his pregnant wife is injured and he is told by the doctors we can save your wife, we can save your child. And oh, you're horrible Sophie's choice. <laughs> and then we smash cut to 13 years later when his daughter's alive. <laughs> and Spoilers. she's <laughs> oh hang on the in theory the spoiler comes later the big twist oh yeah yeah. yeah. so I, god that's stupid can you call it a Keep twist going. if you don't set it up <laughs> you know that's a fair question and i don't <laughs> think you can so our narrative loophole <laughs> uh, anyway, he's he's a single dad he's got again a 13 year old daughter who you know he's doing the best he can he's a little bit overprotective um, and she's trying to spread her wings and she wants to go do stuff with her friends. And he's like, fine, I'll trust you this once. And of course this once winds up being a very, very bad series of events. Mm-hmm. Um, she and her friend, Catherine go walking in the woods one evening and they find the big bad wolf. <laughs> well, it's set up that they want to fuck around with like black magic and like seances oh. and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because she wants to contact her mom. She does. Right. And the mom's dead, by the way, if you all <laughs> didn't catch that. In case, in case that wasn't made clear. <laughs> hey, she could have left him. <laughs> could have been a divorce. We don't know. So as uh as she's trying to contact her dead mom, <laughs> uh something goes sideways and we cut to the dad who's later that evening, like, hey, you're not home. Tries to call her, no answer. Calls the family that she's supposed to be seeing. You know, they still there? And like, no, they told us they were staying at this other girl's house. So, oh, crap. Now, suddenly every parent's worst nightmare. Like, oh, <laughs> where's my kid? Right. And they start looking. They get the police involved. And three days later, the kids wind up in a horse barn. Uh, not having any concept of how much time has passed. They are examined. We're all trying to figure out what happened. And turns out they, you know, took a little jaunt through the underworld and came back possessed by some such. Like you do. And things get a little bit creepy and a little bit weird. And, you know, that grows for a little bit. And they, the daughter winds up in a facility for the mentally disturbed because, you know, this looks very much like mental illness. And the angry dad is trying to find answers. And his neighbor, who's a nurse, is like, hey... Here's a book written by Ellen Burstyn, who, you know, was the mother from the first Exorcist movie who got kind of famous off of this stuff. So, you know, go bother her. I'm sure she'll be happy to be solicited by strangers. <laughs> and he goes and he bothers her and she is happy to be solicited by a stranger. And she, in the single worst piece of dialogue in this entire movie, because it has no place here, she recounts the Exorcist. Uh, what happened with Reagan in the first movie. And he goes, wait, you didn't get to see the exorcism. And she says, no, the priest wouldn't let me. Cause I wasn't part of their damned patriarchy. 
It and wouldn't have worked if Keenan Ivory Reigns hadn't entered the scene wearing a mailbag yelling message. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If I hadn't been adequately prepared <laughs> for that line, I would have thrown something at the movie screen. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, the, I'll the other my other problem job. with that scene, my other problem with that scene was the horn after she says that line. Like, though, I couldn't, they wouldn't let me see the exorcism because of the patriarchy. Wah 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 wah. <laughs> it's so bad. So he recruits her because she's done a lot of studying on exorcisms across all cultures, Mark. Because don't you know, all cultures, the the vast rainbow, the cornucopia of humanity, mm. has exorcism stories, and she's an expert on all of them. So. They go briefly to see his daughter in the asylum. Nothing really happens. They go to find the other girl because they're both possessed by the same spirit and it's it's important and they're bonded for life. And I got to jump in real quick because I was thinking about this. Like, what did this remind me of? Oh, yeah. It reminded me of us where the modern the greatest modern trope in, in cinema making currently is all white people are terrible, especially families. The white nuclear family, the worst. Every fucking movie I'm seeing now, it's always an angry dad, a drunk fucking crazy mom, shitty kids. Like there is there is a thing right now in Hollywood. People are like speaking of de- the, 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 people are being possessed by demons as such. However, Hollywood writers are definitely trying to work through some shit. It is unreal. Not it Hollywood completely out of ideas. Uh, I'll yell about it later if you want to touch on it again. So they go to find Catherine, and Catherine is terrorizing her family. And Ellen Burstyn walks up the stairs alone and gets her eyes stabbed out <laughs> with a crucifix. <laughs> and they wind up getting both the girls together. They try to perform. And we bring together, again, the vast panoply of everyone involved. There's your yeah, girl. And for the Protestant. next fucking six hours, they have to perform this exorcism. We assemble the Avengers across yeah. three other movies. <laughs> You got the Protestant, you got the Baptist Evangelical, you got like, the this Voodoo. Is the, this is the Captain Planet of exorcism movies. They came from around the world. <laughs> they came from around the world with various powers of religion. And nobody, and the most useless is still Heart. <laughs> Captain Planet joke, everybody, in the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> we are current. We are current. But the Catholic priest says I couldn't get a I couldn't get permission from the diocese to actually perform this, so he gives the nurse a Bible and a crucifix and says, "You can do this." <laughs> Here's your shield. Pulls, he, I've seen regional MMA fights where this happens. Somebody comes out and says to the crowd, "We had a fighter not show up. Does anybody want to fight?" 
and they <laughs> grab somebody out of the crowd and throw them into the cage. No, it's it's not horribly important, but the nurse was studying to be a nun, but then started losing her faith, <clears throat> ended up having a kid and an abortion, so then she left the church and became a nurse. That's the reason she's picked yeah, to okay. get the Bible it's and the important. crucifix, is she has it's some important. background. It is, it is important to say to our Catholic audience, such as they are, there's a vast difference between I'm studying to be a nun and I can perform an exorcism. That oh, is yeah. the Will Smith and in Independence say, I saw how it flies. I'm pretty sure I can fly the, the space alien ship. And it's almost as dumb as Jeff Goldblum going, "My, I can hook my iPad up to this alien technology. <laughs> it's not even an iPad. It's like no. a, like Apple. It's, it's, a yeah. Dell. it's like a <laughs> Dell laptop. No, it was no, it was a MacBook, but it's still. No, no. It, it, no, this, this predates MacBooks. MacBooks okay. did not exist when Independence it Day came out. It was a stupid laptop. Move on. It was a Macintosh or something. It might yeah. have been. Mac, only good for itself and alien technology. <laughs> if you want to give an alien a virus, buy a Mac. <laughs> You're not wrong. And anyway, so everyone shows up. We try the exorcism. It goes badly. We tried the exorcism again. There's all kinds of things. The... Catholic priest shows up in our Han Solo moment, but in this instance, he immediately gets his head turned around. Because we got to Yes. And then the devil, speaking through the possessed girl, says, okay, you know, you made, he kind of mocks Victor, like, hey, you made a choice back in Haiti, didn't you? And then we flash back to him saying, no, save my wife, not the baby. Obviously, this didn't work. But this is our big shocking revelation here. And now you two, all the fa the gather the two families here. You got the single dad and you got the mom and the father for Catherine. Like you have to choose. Only one of these girls can live. Or they're both going to die. And this movie did not earn a finale that is the worst iteration of this mediocre morality play. So we try to break we try to break the separation between we try to break the connection between them. There's a little bit of faith going on, and then the dad, because it's always the dad, the white dad, <laughs> who just yep. screws it all up. He says, I choose Catherine, and then the demon. Uh, but you know, you can't trust the devil. Spoiler alert there for anyone <laughs> that you can't do it. You can't trust him. In case you so haven't the, heard of biblical stories or history for the last two thousand years. And the, even predating the assemblage of the Bible. Don't trust the demons. It doesn't work. <laughs> if you haven't seen a horror movie ever, you may not know this. <laughs> so the, There's been enough of them. The demon leaves our protagonist's daughter and then kills Catherine because, again, you can't trust the devil. And our post-credit, our postscript to all of this. The girl goes back to school and starts trying to live life normally, and we're assured by a unbearably ineffectual police detective that families recover. <laughs> Let me tell you, everyone out there, as a child of divorce, that scene when the the this is from the White family when the mom is like walking up to the dad, they're in a restaurant because you meet in public after you're divorced. Like that, her walking up to meet him in that diner and whatnot, like that's the divorced parents meeting. There's no recovery <laughs> from that. Okay. Families recovering. Well, statistically, not if you lose a kid. I can show the odds on that are actually pretty empirical. And 
We get our theoretical payoff to all of this when Linda Blair does a brief cameo as reprising the role of Reagan. She shows up and she reconciles with her mom because of nostalgia. And please, please see the sequel. Um, all right, Dorian, hit me one time. Oh, this, this is the this is the notes time. This this <laughs> this is your this is your moment. Go. Uh, before I go any further, just because I know there's a uh, big other big Exorcist fans in the uh, in the audience, I did not on purpose forget the Exorcist TV show. We were just talking about movies, but for all of you who don't know this, there was an Exorcist TV show as well. Um, Linda Blair did return, um, and it it uh, it told its own own story. So it's out there too if you want to watch it. So it technically is part of the Exorcist world. What are um, you doing here, Linda Blair? A very brief cameo. Ugh, me too. <laughs> Great Muppet Caper, people. Go go watch that instead of this. Um, My favorite Muppet movie. Um, just starting with the cast, Leslie Odom Jr., who, um, if our audience doesn't recognize the name specifically, he was the original uh, Aaron Burr in uh, Hamilton, the, the musical Broadway sensation. Uh, he has done well in everything I've seen, and he does well in this, um, even despite all the problems the movie has. Um. There are moments I wish he'd had more emotion, um, like he or any, but, or any. Well, it's there were moments that it worked, like you know he tries to keep him, himself very you know contained and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and I get that. There were just moments where it was like, especially post everything's gone to hell, no pun intended, that I really expected him to get a little bit more angry. However, I can see a director going, I don't want to lean into angry black guy stereotype. Let's not do that. But I can also understand with the direction and the writing they did. <sighs> See, they I, I gotta I gotta stop you there because when we yeah. stop when we start treating minorities like they're not human beings, that's an insult to the minority. Black Absolutely. people get angry too. I I, I I understand what you're saying, and I'm not this isn't me coming after you, but if but if the projection is well, we don't want to lean into angry black guys, okay, but black guys get angry too. So, that's so part what? of the human you, experience last time I checked. <laughs> So your black characters, so right, male black characters can't ever be angry, just like female characters can never ask for help. Got it. Yeah, this is, but this is why we deconstruct these movies and why we complain about them the way we do, because it gets to a point where you're now overthinking a lot of your characterizations to not insult anybody, and then you just get a mayonnaise sandwich. Yeah. Yuck. And again, um, and I, I definitely agree, I, you know, people get angry, even, even my scripts, when we have an actor of color playing a character, that doesn't mean that's like, oh, well, we have to avoid all this stuff. But again, what we talked about earlier of audio of like Hollywood seeming like they're trying to work through shit. It, it, <laughs> it, it, the idea crossed my mind when I watched it, or like got to the end. I was like, oh, no, "Don't get me wrong, and I have some shit to say about the marketing of this movie." <laughs> it's just like, like, what are we gonna do that's different? How about a black girl instead of a white girl? You can't just do a black girl. You gotta have a white girl in there too. Okay, but don't put her in the marketing because you'll scare the straights. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, some of the dialogue got too fast paced and almost like they were trying to rush through the scene but still get everything mm -hmm. said it's like that's not how people talk however again <laughs> leslie odom jr still bringing it home you know most interesting character of the movie um in my opinion i mean it's a good thing he was the lead um you know he was a great pov i'm sorry i wouldn't say the most interesting character we'll get to that in a second but um he was definitely a great pov that you could put yourself behind and, sure. and kind of fill yeah. the world through his eyes um I th I'm I'm gonna probably mess this name up. So if you're watching this actor who I'm about to use, say your name. I'm so sorry. Uh, Lydia Jewett plays the daughter. Um, she's great. Oh yeah. Um, 
I wanted more time with her pre-possession. Because one of the things I uh, that Reagan is so great about Reagan is that by the time stuff starts going wrong, you know enough about her to go, this isn't right. Something's off. And then obviously it goes worse. Yeah, I agree. They really but, rushed the kids to the mall on this one. And considering she's probably the highlight performance of this entire piece, and she's she's genuinely a character you don't want to see harmed by a demon and you want to see saved. It would have been nice to have connected with her for a little longer period of time before we threw her into the demon suit. Absolutely. Yeah, part absolutely. Of, part, um, and part of what makes the first Exorcist movie work is you actually like Reagan by the time things go really bad for her. Right. We don't have enough time with Angela here to actually form an opinion beyond, oh, teenage girl. Right. So you're just kind of left with, well, who wants to see a child harmed, which is strong, but you need more for this to really work. Here's the here's the flip side of that being strong. I'm not saying it's not. Mm -hmm. There's a scale and it's very obvious. The younger the kid, the more true that statement rings. Right. By the time you get to 12 and 13, you're pushing. (laughs) I I mean this genuinely. The, the at the age that my father told me I turned into a complete asshole. No, I see where you're going with this. Like you, you lose the benefit of the doubt there about that age is all when it comes <laughs> right. to this. And so you need it doesn't have to be a ton. Like I don't, we don't need everyone's most intimate thought. But you, you can you can throw a five year old on screen and people will immediately go, oh yay, five year old, right. and we you know we know what's it's up. The baby Yoda effect. You have a right. cute young you have a cute young child and suddenly everyone's just like oh the thing. You, you get to 12, 13, you get to the preteen, you know, 12, 13 years old. And, you know, she's still, look, she's an adorable looking kid and she's a great performer. But yes, the pup, the, the puppy love is gone. Yeah. Yeah, she, she no, you're fine. You're fine. Again, you said you're going to break in and that's that's what this, yeah. this show is for. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. other, other than that, um, she was fantastic. I, I was rooting for her to live. You know, I was I was worried even like once we had two, I was like, man, are we both are we going to lose both of them? Is one going to go down? <laughs> They're not you know, killing a black kid in the year of our Lord 2023. Would have been a stronger ending if they had. Again, I was about to say, um, <laughs> thank you. Is, is literally, I was like, I, I would have thought that brave, you know. <laughs> Especially if they were, they they would have leaned into he didn't want the kid, but again right. they they still none oh, that of that would be great, you know. And then like maybe he has to go back and try like you know, but the the sequels that may or may not happen at this point, you know, would would deal with that, you know. Um, because one thing that they don't do a lot is, I'm not saying make the parents shitty, but you can make them more human. Of like I didn't want this, I didn't, right. you know. I mean, I love you, you're my oh. kid, you know. But you know, great scene of him talking to Nettles about like the great the the great tragedy of all this, like my you know my the heaviest burden, my great guilt about everything is that I didn't. When it came down to it, I chose my wife over the kid, and here and and now I feel like I'm being punished by God. I just whip that out just in the course of this conversation. These are like Hollywood writers who had months to work on this script, and they couldn't come up with that. Not that I'm like a film genius or anything, but like this is it kind of writes itself. No, no, this is this is one another thing that this movie completely misses. Mm-hmm. You can't throw that in as your as like a pseudo twist at the end of the film to try and ring somebody. <laughs> I'm like, I'm on. <laughs> well, even dude, a good twist only a good twist works because if you think back about it, it's obvious. Right, that's what makes it work. Yeah, no, no, I'm with here, you. I'm with you. Well, so, so hang on. So my point here is, mm-hmm. if you want to take us on this journey, the emotional journey with this character of. I said, save my wife. It didn't work. I have my daughter. I love my daughter. 
but I'm still racked with guilt about this. And I still don't know, you know, what, how to process all of this stuff. And I lost my faith before this happened anyway, kind of thing. Right. If, if that's the journey of this character, you can't throw that in at the end. That's gotta be there the whole way. Yeah. This would have worked better if they had allowed him as the photographer to like, you know, Hey, I want to get a shot of you, you know, like leaning up against the church bell. I don't want to climb all those steps, honey. Oh, it'll be a great shot. Come on, do it. You know, him just being young, impetuous, and kind of stupid, and then the earthquake right. hits, and it's like if I hadn't told her to take get for that shot, she'd be alive. Sure, you know, and then and then, it, and then again, you go into like modern times, and he's like nightmares from you know, like oh, you know, my wife, like I, I, that sort of thing, like him still wrestling with this, you know, maybe a conflict with him and the daughter, like they almost like him and the daughter got along way too well because God forbid, you know, only the white people can be shitty. Um, so oh, no, oh, like, no. but it would have been nice, Absolutely. it would have been nice if he had more conflict with her, and some of it being I, I don't want to keep losing it with her because I'm so racked with guilt over this other thing. Well, and then the, the, the mom's last spoken line, um, mm-hmm. you know, as, as after the accident happens is protect her. So it's like right. really lean into that overprotective dad because yeah. again, if we did it our way, where it's like he sent her up there to get a shot. Everything yeah. went to hell. He blames himself, but her last words to him, like before she probably lost consciousness, was protect her. So now it's like, no, that's that, no, do not open that can of tuna. You have no idea what could happen. You know, I mean, maybe not <laughs> right. that far, but that, well, in no, that- no, no, like to your point, if you want to, there's one line of dialogue here about that, that gives you a hint about how like involved and protective he is. And that's when she says, I'd like to go study with my friend. And he goes, I thought you were going to do what you always do. I pick you up from school. You wait around to the, you, you know, study and do homework at the photography studio while I work. And then we come home. Like, it's a little bit, but one line of dialogue for stuff that happens off screen doesn't actually work in this case. We need to see a bit more of it. We need to see the friction between them. We need to see some of that. And this particular fucking drum not to beat this particular fucking drum, but that's kind of the point that I was making earlier about. Oh yeah. I don't think the the people making this movie knew what knew how to make a movie, what resonate, how to make a movie is you have to find elements that resonate with your audience. When you leave all those things out and it's like, hurry up and get to the possession already. That's all anyone cares about. You know, it's, it's again, it's like the death match. If you don't want to use the porn analogy, it's like the death match of fucking movies. It's like, well, let's skip the storytelling light tubes. Yeah, like let, let's skip the pretense of a wrestling match here and go immediately to gusset plates and fucking light tubes because that's all anyone came for. It's like, ugh, you, you, that, that's how you create a puddle of a movie, not not a pool. Go ahead, Dorian. Yeah, continuing through the cast, um, and since we've been talking about her a bunch, uh, poor Olivia O'Neill. Um, <laughs> oh, she gets the shit out of the stick in this movie. Given it her all, um, mm-hmm. she was underutilized. Um, yeah, free, big time. Free full makeup. She is creepy as hell. Yo, fucking best casted character since the broad from um, Evil Dead Rise, based on her normal facial features. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like. Obviously, they do a good makeup job on her, but like, wow, like. You when you see her first, if you've like, got a if you've got a strong foundation, you can do some fun stuff with it. And that's the thing, like not not since the girl from Evil Dead Rise have I seen like another person casted that looks perfect in the makeup. She's you know because she has a great foundation. Like that kid, mad props for oh, being yeah. like for being a great find for that role. 
which again, coming back to the story, I really wish again, if it was already decided we were going to kill her, whether out of white guilt <laughs> or it just, that's how the story rolled. I don't mm-hmm. care. Um, but make her our villain, make it like that. She is yeah. like a Satanist or something like that. So it's like, we've been trying to say, we've been wasting time trying to save you a, and you're or just a bag of dick teenagers. Well, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like bullying some girl. Again, see, I go, I go back to, and uh, this is a very, very old film, but uh, the Bad mm-hmm. Seed, um, from I believe the, you know, I, I think done well, um, children villains can be far more terrifying than an adult, especially if we're going into this realm of the supernatural. Yeah, and mm-hmm. using her as a villain, if that could have been your twist at the end, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, she didn't want to get baptized. That, that that's kind of a small conversation that they throw away. You know, the mom was like, "Oh, we should wait," and da 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 da. So it's like, okay, maybe she like got into shit way too early. You know, like some kids get into drugs, like you know, before they're in their teens. You know, just in bad bunch neighborhood. Of pe- bunch of people who wind up taking their first drink from their parents' liquor cabinet at age eight. Yeah, and then it, it, it kind of goes to hell from there. But again, mm-hmm. I feel like she was she was fantastic. I mean, both both young actresses are awesome. But um, Olivia O'Neill, I th- in in my opinion, really brought the creepy factor that that um, Linda Blair and crew, obviously, because they had somebody else overdubbing her uh, her possessed voice. You know, in the original Exorcist, that got close enough for me that I was like. It feels kind of like we're back in, you know, that old exorcist that I know and love. But um, very quickly on just because that it bounces off this character because I, I they're so forgettable. Other than like you said, uh, angry dad. Um, cut the parents. You don't need them. <laughs> they are completely ancillary. You could have made her an orphan that goes to this school. You know. No, they had to add to their audience's reaction of being okay with her dying. Because right. again, we we can't because it's like there there had to be like like a meeting, you know, or or like a an idea, uh, being thrown brainstorming session being thrown around, which is like how do we make people by the end of this movie okay with killing the white girl? I don't know. Make the parents extra shitty for no good reason, and then make them mean to the black guy for see, no good reason. My problem was that, and again, I was raised very strict Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. Vietnam flashbacks there. Sorry. Um. <laughs> And without going into my own personal life too much, because let's not turn this into a Dr. Phil episode, those parents did feel like Southern Baptist parents. They're a little strict, you know, stuff like that. But they weren't assholes. Like the times that the dad gets angry when he kicks the thing over, his daughter's missing. Okay, to me, that is a fair reaction. Yeah. Where's my daughter? We don't know. Bang, I'm angry. You know, I'm not going to choke the cop, you know, so I'm going to kick a trash can because I'm angry. Um. That didn't bug me as much when they were they were rude to Leslie Odom Jr. There's like, you know, sir, I've never heard of you. And trust me, if I had heard of you, you and I would have spent a lot more time together because our our daughters are hanging out. Shitty. But again, maybe this is just because I was around Southern Baptist people. I was like, that's Mm -hmm. not unheard of. And I've seen a whole lot worse. So, um, you know, I just minor minor objection to the dad's reaction to the cop. I didn't feel like it was earned because, again, I, 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 I. I have seen situations where the person in charge is so wildly obtuse that yes, by the end of it, you want to punch that person and kick a garbage can. I never mm-hmm. felt like that scene hit that fever pitch. And I yeah, like the I cop didn't... was being perfectly reasonable. And yes, he's missing his daughter, and I get that, but it was almost overly too misplaced anger. It didn't feel genuine to me. Yeah, no, and I, I really feel that they they um there's an old joke that I I I use 
uh, in my writing. It's like, uh, dude, I think you skipped a couple steps there. Yes, we need to that escalated really quickly. <laughs> freaked out, mm-hmm. terrified, then angry. You right. know, that feeling of helplessness. Let's get to that helplessness first. Let him cry. And again, mm-hmm. if you still want to lead into macho guy, he's like, oh, God, I'm crying. Ugh, anger. You know, yeah. then you've got a flowing character moment. But again, overall, those two served no purpose, in my opinion. Yeah. At all. Um, Well, and now we get to the thing. This is what everyone came to see. It's the whole reason when the trailers dropped, you went, all right, maybe. Uh, Ellen Bernstein. It was cool to see Chris Chris McNeil back. It really was. I mean, I it, it did feel very, and again, same director, obviously, and same writers, I believe. Um, it did feel very 2018 Halloween, and uh, this yeah. is another trope that I use when I'm in writers' rooms that I like to, um, when we're writing something together I want to avoid, is the, I don't like the, there's only one man I know who can help <laughs> us trope. <laughs> And yeah, that, I, I don't know why they, they had that scene in there where Ellen Bernstein was putting like the bandana around her head and was tying up her boots and she has the bow and knife. Wait a minute. <laughs> hey, if they'd done that, we've been like, oh, you're doing you're just you're not doing exorcist. You're doing repossessed with Leslie Nielsen. OK, cool. <laughs> <laughs> We're in. Refill the popcorn. I'm down. Best movie of the year. Um, But no, again, it's um, she also. uh. I, I liked how she was back um, because I knew when I saw the trailers and I saw who was directing, I'm like, this is the same Laurie Strode thing in the 2018 one. Someone's going to her for help because she knows how to deal with this thing. I liked how she wasn't in this like, like religious compound. Like maybe she'd mm-hmm. become a nun or some shit like that. she's living on the beach. And it's just a very sad older woman because the action she took in writing the book, which she thought would be helpful to other parents drove Reagan away. And she's just, she's feeling like a failure. I, I, you know, I liked that, but I also liked that she wasn't like Batman brooding in the corner. Like, you know, <laughs> leave me to my suffering, you know, kind of shit. Um, I'm so glad they didn't make her that Byronic. That would have been just a terrible, you know, what would have been helpful though. If we were going to do the, her reuniting with Reagan, instead of a throwaway point at the end of the movie for sequel bait, maybe make that a subplot. And weave yeah. that in as part of the narrative because this mo- this movie they is so. Door. I but my point is like your movie should not be dependent on well we'll get to it in the sequel no make that your subplot weave that into the narrative make this thing thicker and juicier and meatier not you know this sort of you know fucking piece of bread that it was and then you and then it's it's again you have this really thin slice of bread this what this movie is and then at the very end you threw on this juicy. Uh, hamburger patty, and it's like, oh, oh now the, the bread's gone. <laughs> you crush the bread. It's, it's you know, it's done. Well, again, with the, like, like Robert said, you know, you can't trust the devil, and we all know that. But like, mm-hmm. one of the lines that the, the, the possessed child says to uh, Chris is, you know, mm-hmm. you're looking for Reagan. We drug her to hell, you know, or we took her to hell. So it's like they opened a door and then went, eh, and just like closed <laughs> it, you know, and I was like, whatever. Um, and actually talking about Linda Blair, my next note literally reads, and I quote, hi, Linda Blair. Good to see you. Moving on. <laughs> what are you doing it's, here, Linda Blair? It's, yeah. the, it's the cheapest of cheap nostalgia pops. It, it Just, galled me. Robert, you, you can probably some, you can probably summon a really good example of this. But like for again, for our, for our wrestling audience or our non-wrestling audience, bear with me. Occasionally, they bring back a legend. And you're like, oh my god! Occasionally, Sting is back or some shit. 
And it's like they get in the ring and it's like, oh, you're going to get it now. Vicious heel Sting is here. And immediately they drop Sting on his head, you know, <laughs> like kick him out of the, the ring. It's like, wait, why? Why did you even bring him back then? That was the feeling I got when Linda Blair showed up. And again, I'm not, a, I'm not an Exorcist fan, so it didn't even mean as much to me. But it just felt like, why did you bring this person here just to do that at the very end of the movie? You know, where you're supposed to be like wrapping things up all your loose ends you're supposed to be getting to your conclusion and then you do this whole other thing which has no real relevance to the narrative you told and it, call me crazy for being married to strict narrative structure but i feel like your bit. story should have a shut up should have a beginning a middle and an end and we shouldn't be starting a brand new it's not television don't start a new story in your in the last two minutes of act three next time on the exorcist <laughs> yeah, exactly you're not wrong um same Exorcist time, same Exorcist channel. I mean, moreover to that point. Will Linda uh, Blair I, do more in the next movie than just show up? <laughs> Will Ellen Bernstein even show up for the next movie? Tune in next time. Tune in December 2025. Right. Um, um, well, hang on, just, just to that point very briefly, again, make it a subplot or lean harder into... This is part of the problem with how they set this up. Because we're going with a sequel to the original movie, where again we're kind of ignoring two and three for the continuity of this film structure, which is kind of what you know this director does. Like, oh yeah, that first one was good. Well, there's this great, there's this lineage afterwards that's up and down and whatever. Like, no, 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 this is the point that I want to care about. So it's not just this director. How Cameron, Cameron did it with dark feminism. This is well, a trope now. This is a, this well, is a, this is the thing yeah, we're doing. It is, but set aside dark feminism because time travel okay for those of you who don't know our snarkiness that would be terminator dark what was it dark bagels dark, dark horizon dark, dark Base. Fate. thank you terminator dark fate which came out a few years ago and it was the spiritual sequel to terminator to judgment day and it made robert and i want to throw pants a baby and everything else at the screen uh but and again he decided you know with halloween like oh so let's do a sequel to the first one we kind of went, you know, we all kind of liked Halloween too, and, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know what you're doing here, but suddenly making Michael Myers very, and you know his Halloween trilogy, it had ups and downs. We've we've reviewed all three of them, so you can look those up in the we archives. Reviewed the so entire incredible. fucking franchise at this point, save the Rob Zombie ones. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What's your at? I will actually stand up for those just a little bit. I do it mostly to annoy horror people. <laughs> there, yeah. <laughs> All right, settle you? down there. 
Settle I'm, down there, Irish McGee. <laughs> I'll stick up for those just a little bit, but um, there's a, I, I will say there's a couple parts of the Rob Zombie ones that I will, I will stand up for, but that's not what we're talking about. So yeah. I didn't want to. That's why but, I just did this. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So we have to land the point being, we have to now invent wholesale what was actually be an interesting story about how Chris and Reagan had their falling out. Like that's actually an interesting story. It's kind of. I'd rather have watched that. Yeah, but and that gets shoved into lines of dialogue as throwaway to set up where they are now, because when they ended the original movie, they're together and they're happy. And it yeah. you're undoing what happened before, not un not necessarily unfairly, but you're not giving us the appropriate journey to the payoff to set up the next journey that you would need for these characters. And because of that, it falls here's, real flat here's on my other face. problem with that falling under the strictly under the heading of hollywood completely out of ideas would hollywood writers know what to do if their beginning point was everything has fallen apart in the interim because ghostbusters the exorcist i can go on and on and on every movie we've watched over like the past couple of years where we're reflecting on nostalgia we're doing spiritual sequels etc cetera, etc cetera, it's always in the same place everything has gone to hell everything has gone to pieces no one's talking to each other everyone hates each other and our movie is how the we get the band back up. together right yep. and it's like there are other journeys in life there are other life experiences where people oh, yeah. i don't know get along families stay together people enjoy one another and yet and yet things still happen to challenge them and they can go on a journey and learn new, learn new things and be better people and it's like Hollywood is not interested in tell or doesn't know them. Either not interested or doesn't know those stories. It said, no, everybody, fucking Han Solo, Indiana Jones. Like, everyone's terrible. Espe everyone's life has fallen apart. Especially if your protagonist, mm -hmm. not, not to kick this rock too much, but especially yeah. if your protagonist is a man, his life has mm -hmm. to go to hell between movies. Oh, my God. His children, his wife and children hate him because, again, all, all men are terrible. Um, And it's like, and then it's like, we, that we had to get to the end of the movie where, oh, he's not so bad. He's not so bad. Like, ugh. Really? From a filmmaking point of view, the reason that I think they do that is that every now and again, we do get a good film that does that. Uh, case in point, in the last decade, Logan. Logan really yeah. worked with the whole everything. Wow, are you point. pointing to one of the very few exceptions? Logan is is exceptional. Well, but yes, boy, is but, it not the rule? But Mark, <laughs> lizard brain. Yeah, Fair. which movies gets the headline? Is it Logan okay, or is no. it the umpteen failures? I was gonna say, as soon as you said Lizard Brain, I was like, you're right, Robert. I don't know what I was thinking. I won't burn the meatloaf next time. Go ahead, Dorian. But yeah, no, that's that, and I think that's what, what they do is because why they do it is because they've seen it successful and they're like, Oh, we can do it again. It's fine. Yeah, you know, we'll just do it. We're doing it with a different character this we, time. We have a tenth the talent, but yeah, we can be James Mangold. Well, no, no, no. It's not only a tenth the talent, it is if you let's talk Logan for just a second here on the to make this point. For those that don't know, Logan is the third of the Wolverine solo uh, movies from the X Men, the greater X Men franchise under Fox, and it's a, it was an, an adaptation of Old Man Logan, which was a comic. Yada yada yada. And its timeline is about to be erased by something Disney's going to do in the next five years. No one cares. Was it the fourth <laughs> Wolverine movie? Because we had Origins. That wait, no third. Never three mind. Yeah, it's only three. Yeah. My bad. Go ahead. You're one of the few who like went with origins and then went, wait, was there another one besides the Wolverine in there? <laughs> I think yeah, sometimes people reason. I think sometimes people count Days of Future Past, but it's canonically not a, a Wolverine movie. It's an no. X-Men movie. For some reason I thought there was another one in there, and then as I was it was coming out of my mouth, I'm like, shut up, idiot, you're wrong. Um, 
Well, yes. look, look. Given the rock, given the the huge success of the Gambit movie, it's understandable you'd be confused. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Gambit anyway. third, you're near dear to my heart. So, <laughs> no, that's a that's an ongoing gag from like a decade ago, where I was insisting they were going to make the Channing Tatum get Gambit movie, and yeah, it is not. Eight yet years happened. ago, Mark said, "Hey, the Gambit movie is going to come out," and he and I made a bet about this, actually. <laughs> Uh -huh. I said, yeah, they, we also made a bet about Barbie and that happened. You're fucking tempting fate here. It did. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's one of the reasons they do it. Um, hang, hang on, hang on. Robert was going to say about Logan. Well, oh, the, point, sorry, the point there before we got sidetracked, if you look at the character of Wolverine and Logan, this is a, you know, violent, gritty character who's always been interesting when he's when things around him are stripped away like you he is desperately looking for connection and family even though he's gruff about it he finds it you take it away what happens logan as a character as an older broken down re-examination of the violent heroic archetype is interesting not every character is built for that and this is the other problem that you run into especially since superhero movies try to do this well, what if we did old captain america nobody cares Nobody wants to see Steve Rogers as an old man. Couldn't we do old Deadpool? No, don't do any Deadpool. It's terrible. But you've started to see these discussions across various, uh, across different movies as, you know, the MCU desperately flounders around to try and find its footing, which it may or may not. And like, recycling old ideas is, it's kind of old hat, but you have to have more of a discerning eye about this. Like, why does the broken, why does the older, more broken down hero archetype work for Logan and not for Han Solo? The, the answer is fairly self-evident when you think about it for half a second. But if you don't, you just go, yeah, sure. He's all, right. he's broken down and so, yeah, who cares again it's it's the idiot's approach to everything where it's like well this was popular i think this was popular for this reason so i'll replicate it in these nine other circumstances and like you're like zero for nine and like well i don't understand yep. what i did wrong i just did the same thing over and over and over again that worked that one time that I, one I, I don't want to i don't want to uh hit uh robert's nuclear button here but i mean the same issue with the flash it's like so batman's this yep. old drunk painter now <laughs> yep you know <laughs> Making spaghetti in the kitchen. Yeah, he's like, because Bruce, Alfred's why, not there. And he never learned to make anything else. Why does Why does Bruce Wayne look like a homeless man? <laughs> well, you but see, yeah. well, what happened was Alfred died, and no, there was no one there to cut his hair. Go ahead, yeah. it's like that 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 joke from uh from Dark Knight Rises. You don't have your keys. Never needed them. You know. <laughs> Although in that case, that line kind of worked. Yeah, Sorry, coming yeah. back to the movie we're actually talking about today. I'll blast <laughs> through the rest of these notes. Um, most interesting character to me, the one that I, I wanted to know more about, and I'm glad she got the screen time she did. I wish she had gotten more, was uh, Anne Down as yeah. Anne, um, the nurse. Oh, yeah. Um, I felt that our, and I, I did not get the chance to write down her name, our, um, um, She's, she used to be an oncologist, and then she's kind of our... our uh, she's the voodoo lady. I, the, yeah, the doctor, voodoo Wiccan kind of thing. I wanted mm -hmm. more time with both of them, because I really think that they could have... If you are going to copy-paste, they could have been our Father Marin and Father Karis from the original... Well, you know what? For The the more you talk about that, the more I realize, like, this movie is horribly half-pregnant. It's... It's, it's half-trying to assemble interesting characters to fight evil. But it's also truncated and shortened that we don't actually get anything we want out of that. And it's half familial drama that is shortchanged with 
inadequate writing and not enough time because we're also assembling the Avengers. <laughs> like, there's so many more interesting concepts and ideas in this movie that could have been explored better. And instead, because everything is done by <clears throat> Lizard Brain operating at a breakneck pace to accommodate the release schedule, we get stuff that is a bunch of different. Like, there's four different half formed ideas and themes that go into this movie. Pick one, make it good. <laughs> Right, like, and if if you're gonna do what they did, get Sean Patrick Flannery at the end to walk in 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 the pea coat and be like, "I'm here to talk to you about the Saints Initiative." <laughs> <laughs> All right, and shepherds we shall be. <laughs> Anything else? Um, yeah, just uh, just a few. Uh, um, this is craft stuff here at the end. I have some like final thoughts when everybody else has had their piece, but um, the story seemed very a um just Exorcist version of. Halloween 2018, you know, so, um, I already talked about that. Uh, again, we already talked about the too many characters and not enough time to care. Um, the Catherine's death again, I've, I've already kind of talked about this, but just, just, just the final point on this it seemed again, like I said, more love white guilt than a writing choice. I've and... seen, I've seen more than one person talk about the ending to this movie and just come to the same conclusion that the quality of this movie did not, this movie didn't earn its ending, and I think that's absolutely, absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I I agree. And and my biggest problem was I understand the parents are dicks, and you can't trust the devil. But I'm sorry. Why does choosing your child make you the bad guy? Like again, I get the whole you can't trust the devil. I'm with that. But you would be worse if you're like I don't give a fuck. Have, Let the demons there, roll the dice. There are parents viciously fighting right now on soccer fields about my kid's the most important kid on this field, let alone a demonic possession where they would choose their own kid. But, you know, it's a point made. Go ahead, Robert. I know you had some shit to say, a rant or two in there, so... No rant. I don't, go I ahead don't, and... I don't think so. Well, what did you think of this movie, Robert? Eh. <laughs> you, you asked me to use this line, so I'm going to use it. This is a nothing movie. It's It's hollow. It's shallow. It's it's baked into the current culture of cashing in nostalgia dollars. In this instance, over a property that, while it does have a, again, the, the first Exorcist movie is still a genuine cultural touchstone. It, it permeated everything for a while, and it's, again, it still lingers. But not understanding the how and the why of how it worked, why it worked, what actually scared people about it, and what made people care about what was happening. You're left with just, hey, let's play the theme song and let's get some of the actors back. And, let's you know, play the full theme song until halfway through. Let's do that yep. whole. Da, 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 da. It's like. <laughs> and. Yeah. And. <laughs> There's another note after that. I have the sheet music. <laughs> you're not wrong. So you're left with a lot of that. You're left with... Uh... There's... Maybe the best way to phrase it is this. The approach that David Gordon Green took with Halloween worked more or less because... Well, you can't. Well, not any idiot can make a decent Halloween movie. There's ample evidence to the contrary. In point of fact, <laughs> it's not the most sophisticated story or story structure. And he had a decent enough eye for some of the kills. And there were different scenes that actually had some pretty good tension throughout those movies. But 
this is the wrong franchise to take that approach with. The Exorcist works because it taps into something very, very deep and very, very universal in experience. And when you're trying to do shallow nostalgia bait around that, you want to do shallow nostalgia bait around the slasher genre, dude, that's almost all it is at this point, for good, bad, and otherwise. It can sustain that because you're drawn to jump scares, some inventive kills, and a good-looking villain. That's really all you need for a slasher movie. The great ones have more, but you can make a passable slasher movie with those. You, the, possession films in general are pass-fail, and there is a there's a giant gulf between what succeeds and what fails. And a steep learning curve. Yeah. You need a sophisticated eye. You need a sophisticated pen. And this is the wrong guy in the wrong franchise to try and pull this off. And please, if there's anyone listening at Blumhouse who has any say, keep this bloviating jackass as far away from the Nightmare you know on Elm Street franchise as you can. I want to throw this out there as a pitch. Um, and I'll even and I'll produce for Blumhouse. Get take take David Gordon Green out of the horror genre. Put him in the 80s sex romp genre. Let's get him to bring that back because I'm thinking David Gordon Green's Porkies. Let's get that going. He's got the eye for it. David Gordon Green's Caddyshack. There we go. Uh, you, you can't. You, you'll piss way too many people off with Caddyshack. We already pissed people off. We left that in the rear of your mirror. If we're going to do um, it, let's just drive it straight into the wall. <laughs> but he mentioned Porky's and Meatballs. What's the other one? Y- you know what? I, no, no. Okay. The yeah. If, if we're yeah. going to do David Gordon Green, I want either Summer School or Revenge of the Nerds. Like We can that, do them all. Look, look he's he's obviously like an it guy director right now. Like, like we get him on the cheap, but he's fairly passable. His shit makes money. Like, give him a modest budget. We'll talk about that in a minute. Modest budget, get him on Porky's, Meatballs. What, what was the one you just said? Um, Revenge of the, of the Nerds. Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds. He's He's got movies for the next 20 years. And these will all be wonderful. Just, you know, all rated R. No more of this PG-13 bullshit. All rated R. All hot girls. All David Gordon Green. All this is the dumbest, most, like, most gonzo porno shit. But it'll be awesome I this is what America look. America is in a sad, depressive state of affairs right now. We need the return of the '80s sex romp, not the think piece that was no hard feelings. I mean, let's get back to basics, people. This is okay, R- Robert. I'm I'm going to call on your bitchy yoga mom uh, inside. <laughs> How many times has our dad Mark mentioned porn in this review? Not enough. We're about eight now. <laughs> We're about to hit, we are close to hitting double digits. We are really on a whole new bingo card, by the way, because that's got to be another one. Well, (laughs) hang on. First of all, we have exhibit number 6,325 in Mark's ongoing campaign to restore the raunchy sex comedy to cinema prominence. Instead of, of I need a remake, I need a remake of Joysticks, I need a remake of Hamburger the movie and Hot Dog the movie. Instead of leaving that genre in the past. Dead I'm sorry, Dorian has, sorry, Dorian has questions and he's come to the 80s sex rob, you know, master here. What now? Those three <laughs> that you just came up with, you didn't just fire titles out of your ass. Those actually exist. Those are actual movies. Dude, Joysticks is the bomb, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> jo- Joysticks is a cinema classic. I still, may, I still quote Hamburger the movie. 
<laughs> it's tasty, by God. And yes, Hot Dog the movie Those... is not about hot dogs. It's a ski movie. As much as if you the the terrible animated movie Sausage Party leans hard into that style of filmmaking. Oh, that's where those fuckers got it from. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay. Now that the now the audience has a taste for my cinema uh, enthusiasm, Robert, finish up. Yeah, I. I'm not one who believes that the Exorcist story needed ever needed to continue. Not everything needs a sequel. There's something. One of the things that the over, I hate to sound like this, so bear with me here, but the over corporatization of the arts has done is remove the impact and the payoff of finality, because if a story's done, we can't continue to monetize it. Right. This is a great loss in the story, whatever your medium of choice, in the art of storytelling, if you want to start a blaming, so I actually don't blame movies for this in the general sense. They got around to it, but like, this is why comics... Western no. comics are the way they are. We can't ever I'd move on from Bruce too. Wayne. I say we novels too. Like you look at like, yeah. like the um uh you know like the guy that wrote Jurassic Park and everything. Like did we need another Jurassic Park book? No, we did not. But we got one. Did we need another Independence Day book? No, but we got one. And this there goes on and on and on. Independence Day book. There, there was if I remember correctly. There was a novelization, there was a, but there wasn't. There's, there's something else that I'm thinking of along the same lines. Then yeah, yeah, I, I got you. I, I, I get your point. Like. We've again, we've lost the ability to just let a story be itself, be finite and be done. They're still talking about, hey, you know, there hasn't been a Lord of the Rings movie in 13 years because you told the story. Congratulations. <laughs> it's oh, your uh, metaphor yeah. for World War One ended the war and the story. By the, the way, speaking of continuing things, sorry, just real quick, Robert, while you're on that, I have one of the uh, people who is watching right now. They didn't comment on this because they didn't want to interrupt us, but I saw it. So I'm interrupting us because I'm on here. Is I got a how dare you say Deadpool sucks? Oh no, shut up, dude. I don't know who you are. We love thank you for watching our show. But God, <laughs> don't do don't do it, man. I'll I gotta like no, Robert, calm down. I'm <laughs> allow me to simply opine the following about Deadpool one. Ugh. Okay. You know, this is all I'm gonna say about it. I, I told you, Dorian, Mark, I needed a handbook. Dorian, you're on a fresh set no. of strikes, pal. Hang on, hang on. Look, <laughs> one thing. I'm not going to go on a rant. If you want to listen to our review of Deadpool, Mark and I reviewed it. I made Dude, my case there. bully Robert into submission. Yes. Listen to our Deadpool that, review. That's a lot of me going, I'm not, I don't like this, here's why, and Mark going, what's wrong with you? <laughs> There's a lot of that. That was the beginning when, of my girlfriend falling in love with you, by the way, was how could you do that to poor Robert? You beat the shit out of him on that show. And I'm like, oh my God. I was and making I, valid points. I didn't say you weren't. And look, <laughs> it, that was also a point when I wasn't quite where I am now in the where I will rhetorically stand up for myself when you <laughs> when we disagree. When, as far as Deadpool goes, when all the funniest parts of your move of your R-rated comedy are in the trailer that was released for general audiences, you have a problem. Okay, let me jump in here with the review of the movie we're talking about. I just want a couple of bullet points, and we're going right into the money. Uh, since we're almost at the point that I wanted to end this podcast. Um, the horror genre, last I heard, was supposed to be scary. There's at a minimum. <laughs> at a minimum. If your horror movie fails to provide adequate fright, you have failed the mission. And I tell you, I was on a date when I saw this movie. And we both had... The same. Somebody else ooga booga at you from the darkness. 
then yeah, you're you're gonna jump a little bit. That's how haunted houses work. That yeah. doesn't mean your movie is good or that you provided adequate fright. Um, and then everything leads up, you know, your Battle of Manhattan moment, you know, is the actual like possession scene, which goes on for about 12 hours. It's about the it's about the length of an entire Martin Scorsese movie. And let's see our next see Daniel Hollywood next week. And um, in, coming to you from the time dilation, that is close <laughs> to the flower moon. Yes. Um, and we're sitting there and we're watching this and we're both kind of occasionally looking at each other going, is this ever going to fucking end? And here's the thing. Not only that, not only is it way too long, but the actual like possession scene and exorcism isn't scary. It's almost laughable at times, but you're laughing because you're just like, oh, this Muppet is yelling at these people. But like, there's no, there was nothing. I was listening back to our review of old. And I kind of had the same moment because I, I, I listened to our comment, our review of that. And I remember saying to myself, something that's supposed to be horrifying made me laugh out loud. It's when the, it's when the model trophy wife, um, her bones are brittle and she kind of falls apart and she looks like a swastika. And I remember laughing about that. And to this day, that still makes me laugh. Um, but the scariest part of old was the one girl eating the potato salad. Um I, I had a similar thing here where I'm just like, this is supposed to be frightening. This is there's supposed to be enough tension in this scene and enough visual stimuli to bother you that you should be frightened, and none of that works. It's it's all flat. Um the that's, scene that's again that's scary is when he leans back and you see like what's like maybe Reagan when he's mm-hmm. talking to his daughter in the bedroom. That's the best scare, in my opinion. Yeah, Probably. and then the other scene with um, you know, with uh what's her face, Leonard Bernstein and um you know and, and, and the possessed Katie. And look, we've uh, all wanted to stab Leonid Brezhnev at some point, right? <laughs> the that whole bit where where she confronts her for the first time and she's just like, I hear you, Reagan. Like by the in the name of every good being everywhere and my daughter, I cast you like I wanted to stab you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that scene ending with her being stabbed in the eye, and like I'm trying to not laugh, like it was it, trying not that, to cheer for the demon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, that was some poor dialogue. Like this poor woman, who I'm sure is a wonderful actress, could not could not save that scene with her performance. That dialogue was terrible, and like I'm giving the kid a lot of credit here. I'm not going to beat up on the kid. The kid's doing her level best being the demon in that scene, but it was all just like, oh my god, none of this works. And that is like a big problem I have with this movie is for the hour and a half, two hours that I watched this thing, I'm just like, none of what should be singing sings. It's yeah. all flat. Um, and then, yeah. And then the last thing is, and this is Dorian actually wanted to get your opinion on this because you're, you know, you're a director of movies. So you have an eye for the art, you know, artists, a lot of what sometimes makes a movie work. We talked about this with the creator. We talked about this with Barbie is your set design. If your set design sings, that can save a lot of your movie because at least you have something interesting to look at. This movie, the color paletting is washed out. Um, the possession scenes, there's nothing really dynamic or fun to look at. And it's all kind of shot in one location. And if that one location doesn't sing in your home movie, it's just fucking boring to watch. Absolutely. And that was my experience with this. I would agree. Uh, what the original Exorcist did with them renting this house because Chris McNeil's character in the original is an actor. She's on a mute movie set, so they're having this this apartment, this house mm-hmm. for them during the, the shooting of the film. The there is furniture in it, there is you know cool stuff, obviously, but it's the, the walls are mainly blank because they haven't put anything up. That really adds to that sense of just unnerving. Compare that to Evil Dead Rise. 
the setting in Evil Dead Rise was fantastic. Like, yeah, my God, go back to our archives. Dorian was on that show too. We sang the praises of that movie up and down and sideways. It's it's a great contrast to this one because like while Evil Dead Rise does almost everything right, not that it was without its flaws, we certainly brought those up, but like we spent two hours just blowing that movie left and right. Well, and it's a great contrast to this one where this one seems to do everything wrong. To, if you look at what we praised about that one versus a lot of what we've criticized here, the people who made Evil Dead Rise, they clearly sat down beforehand and really thought every bit of the technical side of that out. Mm -hmm. They thought about how they wanted it to sound. They thought about how they wanted it to look. They thought about the geography, the geometry, the architecture. They had all that right. really nailed down in ways that I think, I feel like this one, your production notes would have been, you know, house or street. <laughs> like like it, it felt very bland, very generic in the setting. The other problem, though, very, very quickly, though, is that if Evil Dead Rise had come off completely goofy and completely stupid, they were still bulletproof because yeah. of Evil Dead's reputation That's of true. being goofy sure. and stupid. This, they had to be on yeah. point, and they weren't. And I, I'm sorry, just very, very quickly, since we're talking about production design and stuff sure. like that, the full, like, monstrous, they're fully possessed, you know, when they were both tied to the chairs, makeup, I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> they didn't look scary. I'm going, oh, my God, what are you? Like, because again, 1973, you know, I give them a pass on the makeup, even though it's fantastic. It is fantastic. It's like, mm -hmm. this is a good 50 years later, folks. Um, <laughs> It would be like if you look at the original Terminator where Arnold Schwarzenegger and they clearly go to a claymation model where he's like stitching himself up and everything. And just yeah. like, he removes his eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this looks terrible. But you forgive it because Terminator is awesome. It, it yeah. is. A, it is a touchstone in, in you know, in the horror that, genre, that, the sci-fi genre, everything. That makeup problem is is yeah, mm -hmm. it's still when you watch it like you yeah, know, and if you go like, to like if there's a scene like that in Terminator Dark Feminism where he suddenly turns into like you know Kiyomo Pinocchio, and you're like, what the fuck is this? A total consistency in your visual medium that's a problem <laughs> this is the last thing i'm gonna say and i just want to move on um other than the, the, i credit all the credit in the world so i say something nice because people are like are you ever gonna say something nice about this movie yes the two girls are phenomenal they look great in the makeup they you know they give you know their level best performances they're probably like the, the whole stars of this thing because there ain't much else but it's not enough to get this thing over the finish line um no you know i talk not. about there are talking movies and then there are visual movies and you can do a talking movie that looks bland but you're so engaged, like, you know, Oppenheimer, you, you can be engaged in the narrative, in the dialogue that it carries you through, and that's enough. Or you have an Evil Dead Rise, which is a highly visual, technical movie, where the dialogue, as we talked about back then, was goofy as all get out. But it didn't matter because everything looks awesome and you're there for the visual ride. And this movie managed to miss both balls being thrown at it. It looks bad and it sounds bad. And you're like, what the hell? And with that said, that is our, our review of the craft of The Exorcist Believer. So with that said, Robert, are you ready? Here comes the money. We're in the money. We're in the money. I love our audience. I love the fact that we bring people like Zach and, and Dorian on and they bring their 
friends and we and we grow our audience but let me tell you how it fucking throws me off that now i have now have to explain things to people and what we're doing because i miss i miss <laughs> the old jazz days robert of me and you just just naked doing this show and i'm gonna tell shit to nobody because nobody was listening um but like now i gotta be like all right we have to talk about finances now it's called the money that's what we're doing here like, because it. we look, we, the damn you Hollywood experience is not just a review of the film. It's mostly that, but we'd be remiss if we don't talk about the actual finance and some of the business side of this because that's a it's an important element of filmmaking that new, gets largely ignored, that it, right? Or the news that it generates. And then we, you know, we discovered how bad most critics are at their jobs, <laughs> so we have to point the lens at them on occasion because yes, these are the look the, these are the pillars of. Not not filmmaking necessarily, but the pillars of the the film industry and popular culture. You have the product, you have the finances, and you have the reaction. And we like to talk about all three of them. Yep. So this, folks, uh, for those that have never watched before, watching for the first time, this is the money segment. We talk about the budget. We talk about um, whether or not it made any money, and then we we do projections. We look at the worldwide gross. This is sort of our our like. Quasi news segment. So here we go. Now that I, now that I turned our little Ramones type punk rock show into this big orchestral thing, um, on a budget of thirty million dollars, because we can't have nice things in reverse. This thing has made eighty-five point two million dollars. It is already profitable. God hates us all. Ugh. You forget to say something, or no, Robert. I tend to for the first time in the show's fucking history. I you weren't going to say anything. Considering the tenor of this film in particular, I tend to think it's more we hate God than God hates us. <laughs> Fair, okay. Um, all right. Hey, the weekend that was <laughs> in a moment that when I saw it, it made me laugh. Taylor Swift, The Eras Door, was the number one movie of the weekend. God bless you, Taylor Swift. The one thing unifying this country, Taylor Swift. I do not care for her. Um, no Shocking. shit. Or the Beastie Boys, or Culture, or anything. Look, um, Sabotage is a nice song, but I don't know why they had to release it so many times. I'm not explaining that gimmick to people. You suck. Um, the Exorcist fell from one to two. Paw Patrol, or if you like Saw Patrol, fell from two to three. Saw fell from three to four. The Creator, four to five. The Blind, uh, five to six. All Haunting in Venice, six to seven. The Nun, currently PVOD, fell from 7 to 8. The Equalizer stayed in its spot at number 9. And Dumb Money fell two spots to number 10. Rounding out the top 20 are Hocus Pocus, Barbie, The Expendables, Oppenheim, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, Blue Beetle, Mutant Mayhem, Independent Thing, and it went into a wide release. And then Gran Turismo rounds out the top 20. Uh, also debuting this weekend were Anatomy of a Fall at 22, The Mission at 29, the Road Dance at 41, Divinity at 42, and that was the weekend that was worldwide. I'm sure we have had no movement whatsoever. Um, not a single, not an iota. Nope. So whipping through this real quick, I do not want to stop every other second. Barbie is number one, is still the number one movie in the world at 1,439 million, followed and by the we'll Super Mario Brothers it, movie. When we finally uh, close the door on this one, Barbie will still be the number one movie of 2023. God help us all. Normally, and it's Oppenheimer, one of the most successful rated R movies of all. Dex 704, Spider Man 690, The Little Mermaid, 
569, Mission Impossible. Uh-oh. Might not catch up this time. <laughs> it does. Is this frozen and angry face right now? We apologize for the technical difficulties on Mark's end. That appears to be some kind of internet connection issue. Imagine he might be cutting out in just a second. Then he won't react. That's usually how that goes. So, hi, audience. How are you? You having a good day? We hope you are. We certainly do. So, very brief. Yeah, there he goes. <laughs> he should be back in a second or two. Well, hi, Robert. How are you? I'm doing all right. You know, I've been worse. Um, yeah, the, the box office for this year, we've talked about it before. <sighs> two movies that made enough money that they should have been profitable, but ultimately weren't. That I, I still feel the need to kind of bring up on occasion. So. If let's talk about Fast X Part One because we are Final Fantasy naming convention at this point. Yes, you made seven hundred million dollars and weren't profitable, and that that's that's criminal. That's just criminal. <laughs> if you generate that much money, you should not <laughs> you should not lose money on the endeavor. No, uh, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. I think we're back. You are back as so far as I'm for Robert and Dorian to come back. Oh, we're here. We haven't left. We've been talking to the audience. Sorry, uh, folks. Was... We had a bit of a freeze there. Not sure eh, if this happened through or not. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep. Now I can hear you. Hey, we're back. Okay. I think. As Ronnie has brought up on screen, this is what happens when we review Exorcist movies. Technical difficulties rear their heads. <laughs> yep. Someone's, someone upstairs is angry. All right. I don't know where we lost there, but. Um, yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp hanging on at the number 10 spot. Um, Mermaid losing money, Ant-Man losing money, Mission Impossible losing money, Fast X <laughs> losing money. This is a big loser year for most studios. Yeah. Uh, By most studios, year... I mean Disney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, with that being said, so this is it for this one. It had its it had its opening weekend. We're getting to it a week later just because, like, there was a weirdness with the schedule. But um, – Next week, this week coming up is the Martin Scorsese three and a half hour epic, uh, from Killers of the Flower Moon. That'll probably win its weekend. And then Five Nights at Freddy. I, I want to just talk about. I just want to talk about Five Nights at Freddy real quick. Um, so I had to rearrange some stuff in my schedule. Figure out you know, part of it was, uh, Francis and Ghana is fighting Tyson Fury on October twenty eighth, and I wanted to be able to watch the whole thing. And I think the pay per view actually starts at twelve or the main or. Like this prelims at twelve and the main card starts at two. And either way, it was like, well, all right, well, they're in have... they're in Riyadh, right? So yeah. they're doing it prime time in the Middle East. Yeah. So Western the point Asia, being, I was gonna take my kids to go see Five Nights at Freddy on Saturday, and I can't because of the pay per view. I want to make sure I watch the whole thing. So, so I went to go look at the Thursday previews because it's the only other night that I had available to take them before we ran into the review. And you know, uh, the I actually had to flip around to different times in theaters because most of them were sold out. Like I, I said earlier this year, and I've, I've made this point a few times, 
it being PG-13 and it being a popular game with the children, believe it or not, I think that Freddy, despite it being day and date on Peacock, is actually going to do really, really well. I mean, I don't think it's going to do like Avengers money, but I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised with how much money it makes. And when it does, we'll only have to wait another five years for the Among Us movie. <laughs> Um, that's a very that's a very niche way, reference <laughs> universal has a really fantastic and i think it's it's it obviously still gonna be out for the rest of the the uh this month actually just got back from a a um very special behind the scenes uh vip tour of the back lots of universal studios they have a fantastic last of us themed haunted house if you oh, nice. have the money to go 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 see it they have several other haunted houses, which are um, Universal Monsters Unleashed and also Chucky. You mind if I ask which Universal? Is that Orlando or was that? That's Orlando. It's Orlando, yeah. I actually... I'm actually taking my daughter... I, 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 I'm, I'm taking I my daughter this Thursday to Halloween Horror Nights, so I'll be checking out some of those houses. I only Absolutely. bring that up because I actually know one of the haunted house designers who works at Universal in California. Oh, cool. Nice. My, uh, yeah, good, good, good friend. Good, good friend of my family, uh, Tom. He... He designs haunted houses for them now, and he's he's a great guy. Uh, right. So whatever money this movie, this Exorcist movie was going to make, it's made it, and I'm sure it's going to be racing to PVOD shortly. And so we have Killers of the Flower Moon, then Five Nights at Freddy, um, and then we're taking a week off. Um, I'm sure there's something on the calendar, but it's whatever. And then we're back with uh, the Marvels. Yeah, so the next big release um, will be the Marvels. We have a lot of one and done. And I know, and I we talked about this last week. Uh, just there's just a minimal repeating between now and Aquaman. I don't think any single movie repeats uh, its number one spot. I think it's all it's, one and done. It's unlikely. The the yeah. It's unlikely, dude. I, I'm I can't wait for Marvels to crash and burn. Like I, I know this has become your new thing. Well, it is, but as I'm, this is the new cocaine bear, but like the opposite. This is like the negative cocaine bear. Look, man, we rooted hard for cocaine bear. We really did. And that blew yeah. up in our face. So let me root on a more sure thing here. Just let, let me feel good about this one. The fact that that thing is, <laughs> the fact okay. that that thing is tracking and projecting lower than the Eternals is a real bad sign. Oh, is it really? Yikes. I, I right. linked that the other day in the chat. Like, hey, this is tracking very poorly. <laughs> I'm busy. All right. Um, there's really not a whole lot else to talk about with the money here. So without belaboring the point, here we go with the critical review. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Well, folks, sometimes we're way more negative than the rest of the world, and sometimes we nail them dead to rights. Oi. <laughs> Look at those scores. Very, Robert. very rarely we're more positive than the rest of the world. <laughs> it does happen. Uh, we have a 22% um, rotten on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, and we have a 59% audience score. Uh, right. We go to top critics. Oi, it drops even further to 15%. Yeah, yeah. There it goes. And then the all audience score, yeah, 47. So universally panned, the exorcist believer. Well done, people. Boy, it's a good hey, remember the good old days where you know something would have to hit and be popular with people before you know before it was green, you know, granted a sequel. Meanwhile, in the year of our Lord 2023, things are getting sequels and they're just hoping they make money. It's an odd the, way to do business. 
the decision to move the movie mo- movie business model to something more in line with TV in terms of the schedule that they keep and release mm-hmm. scheduling was a horrible decision and whoever made it should be shot. Yeah, I hope not like not shot direction. dead like in the leg. <laughs> right in the kneecap. All right. No, the crit- through the calf. That'll be nice. The critical con- critical consensus. The Exorcist believer earns points for trying to take the franchise back to its terrifying roots. Bloody oh, roots. But a lack of new ideas and scares make this an inauspicious start to a planned dream planned new trilogy. That is and a the- kind way to say that. You did good, <laughs> AI. You were kind. And the audience says, if you can resist the urge to compare to the classic film that started the franchise, Exodus Believer is a halfway decent possession thriller. Yeah, no, I can't not. compare it to the original. I've never seen it, and I don't believe that to be true. Yeah. Look, Mark uh, is not proof positive of this, but he's a pretty serious data point in it. All right. Uh, let's see if we can at least find friends or stuff that makes me laugh. Or, hey, here's, here's someone who thought it was fresh, maybe. Mark Mazoros of the News Herald, Willoughby, Ohio. Offers nothing new to the formula, and if you were worried Believer wouldn't play its the hits during the exorcism, you're not. It's all there, and fans of the original know what we are referring to. Alrighty. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Mary Beth McAndrews of Dread Central. David Gordon Green's The Exorcist Believer fundamentally misunderstands its source material and has nothing of any real substance to say. Yeah, that's accurate. What he said, "Man, when you've lost." The horror audience is much more forgiving than most audiences. When you've lost even them, you have failed the assignment. Dolce Pierce of The Sun UK. However, overall, this is a surprisingly class act with enough devil in the detail to thoroughly enjoy. <sighs> it's just why. It's not. It's really not. How can, can you call this not a class do act? the fucking puns? Jesus Christ. The devil's in the details. Do you get it? Do you get it? They did the same thing with Last Voyage of Demeter. This is a story you can really sink your teeth into. Do you? Uh, sorry. The other way. <laughs> Do you get it? Do you get it? Do yes. you get it? Oh, my God. Uh, I wanted you to yell, Do you get it, Dorian? <laughs> put you on the full screen. Um, That's fair. I, mean, I started the Deadpool thing. There's your revenge. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Um, no, I'm going to read this one just because that name makes me laugh. Diego Peralta of Geeks of Color. Odom Jr. shines in his performance as a man who will stop at nothing to keep his daughter safe in a sequel to the slowly builds up towards an explosive conclusion. Okay, I'm convinced ChatGPT wrote that. He definitely had some AI help. Yeah. He threw a prompt in there and didn't edit it properly. dude that character would have actually been better if he was relentlessly driven. Instead, mm-hmm. he just kind of exists. Like, he, does have, he does have one driven moment, and it, it is a really great moment in the movie, and it it's is. probably one of my favorite. But it's when um, they go outside, or he goes outside for a moment, and he sees the priest praying, praying in his car, and he walks up the window and knocks on the window and goes, hey, fight's in there. Yeah. He just walks away. That's that. That's one of the few moments in the movie that really stuck with me that I will remember when this movie's brought up. I... I really needed more of that iteration of this character throughout the right? course of that uh, of this story, and instead he's just kind of bland for the vast majority of it. It's a real missed opportunity. I'm Batman. I'm Fred gone now. To- Fred Tobel of United Press International. 
Exorcist Believer is never boring. Bullshit. All evidence to the contrary, <laughs> sir. By the time it... Were you getting a blowjob during the movie? I don't know how you come to that conclusion. But by the time it's over, it feels a bit hollow. That still puts it behind the Exorcist 3 and the TV series, but at least the franchise is back on the right path. Ugh. Hang on, hang on. Did you cast back yet, sir? In moderate fairness to the point he's raising, I've given a few other movies props recently for... Maybe not being good, but if you're long-suffering and part of the franchise, you wind up going, it's nice that it didn't suck that much. Yeah, that was your Hellraiser fucking among other. Uh, that It was there among others. Mm. This one doesn't actually get that pass because there's at least three entries into the general mythos that are better than this, at least. Our friend, Kevin Carr, fat friend. guy at the movies... It tries some interesting things, but murky cinematography oh, and unfocused focused plot fails to live up to the better films in the series. Well, Kevin, you're not wrong. I, I don't know what interesting things this even tried. <laughs> oh, there's two of them that are possessed instead of one person. Yeah, the interesting thing was Black Girl. Like, oh, look, we did a thing. <laughs> um, uh, Louis Bond of Diario Las Americas. Uh, leaving aside its detractors, and despite how far it is from the source, the Exorcist Believer continues to maintain the core that animated its predecessor, the archetypal struggle between good and evil. Doesn't. <laughs> this is actually one of my biggest gripes with this movie. It, it actually doesn't, because no one, no one wants to take a stand on absolute good and absolute evil. Everyone wants to engage in moral relativism. Yep. It's it, it, there's moments where it starts to, and then it just it it, it looks like it's it's like in in the, in the stocks ready to take the run, and then it goes. Eh. <laughs> and you know, evil is yeah. kind of a nebulous concept, and we don't like saying evil. And what is really good? What Everything a, can be good. The, what a millennial movie! Like we're ready to take a stance on good and evil. Eh, not today. You not are today. not. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. It's I'm not sure if it's more millennial or like a Gen Z take on that culturally, <laughs> but you are not wrong to point yeah. that out. <laughs> uh, the last one I'm going to review here, and this is somewhat why we do this. Nate Adams of the Only Critic, <laughs> Lord. Forgive Hollywood, for they have sinned. That has Boy. been an accurate sentiment for many <laughs> decades. You didn't need to put that pun in this movie. You know, criticism is an art form, and these people <laughs> are very paint-by-numbers. Oy vey. They are profoundly uninteresting, too. To say the least. All right, folks, though, that is our full and complete uh, vascular review of The Exorcist Believer. I want to thank Dorian Price for coming on here. Always a pleasure, Dorian. Thank you. Terrific. It's always good to be here. Sorry, I, I thought you were going to keep talking, so I was like, I'll just make hand motions. No, occasionally I pause to let other people talk, contrary to popular opinion. Um, <laughs> and a uh, lot of evidence. Uh, Next week so, on Family Matters. <laughs> this Thursday, myself and Alexis Hano will be reviewing season three of Only Moides in the Building. Uh, oh, yeah. Next week, myself and Robert, where are you? Robert will be reviewing Killers of the Flower Moon. And myself and David Wright will be doing uh, reviewing season two of star trek strange new worlds Ooh, um, you're it you're to what if you want to claim that season one had some redeeming value <laughs> and then thursday night alexis is going to be doing a review with robert among other people for the fall of house of usher uh the netflix show start on that actually um this weekend there can... for that one yep. cool this weekend we've got some canned hams for you we've got our um, Godzilla 1998 alternative commentary that has my kids on it, <laughs> as well as um, you know Jesse what? That's and Alexis. 
That's entirely appropriate. That is a movie for eight-year-olds. You're not wrong. And That's then uh, Metal Hammer, Metal Hammer of Doom Sundays, we've got High on Fire, uh, Luminiferous from 2015. So that's what I got going on over here. Dorian Price of Freaky Pictures. Show us where you piss from. Uh, obviously, yeah, on Instagram and Facebook, <clears throat> you can find us at uh, Freaky Pictures. Uh, if it needs to be shot, you know, um, well, excuse me, I need to, re- I need to rephrase that. <laughs> if you need to be no, shot, yeah, I'll no, shoot it. If it needs to be shot, we are there. Um, <laughs> I know a guy. <laughs> represent. Um, <laughs> Uh, if it needs to be filmed, taking pictures of, uh, we're uh, actually in the midst of doing a bunch of uh, music and promo videos for a lot of bands around here in Kansas City, getting a lot of people off the ground. If you're just starting out, if you need an uh, electronic press kit, again, um, promo shoots. Again, hit us up on, uh, like I said, Fracky Pictures, as you can see it's spelled there, uh, on Instagram or Facebook. We're happy to help you. Um, always excited to do it. We, uh, the Myself and the crew I have always love what we do. And uh, it's always fun to, you know, have new challenges. Uh, the only thing I'll other, also add, uh, which is for this network, and I know we're still trying to schedule it, but um, there is a in uh, an, a uh, segment on the show called In Defense Of, if I'm not. Okay, slow down. One, <laughs> it's called On Trial. On Trial is the name of the show. But I'm trying to convince, convince Mr. Radulich to uh, let me do an on-trial of Sleepy Hollow, Tim Ooh, Burton's Sleepy Hollow, because I absolutely love that movie, and I'm more than willing to have Robert or Pat or whoever else they want to throw at me to to uh, put that on trial and, and defend it. So hopefully that can get on the schedule for uh, this year, still in the spooky season. But if not, keep your eyes open, because I know Mr. Radulich and I have been wanting to do that. But if it doesn't happen, then ignore everything I just said. There's a lot of us that consider Tim Burton one of cinema's greatest monsters right up there with George Lucas. So uh, <laughs> I imagine we can find someone to prosecute it. <laughs> Mark froze again. <laughs> Indeed he did. On the plus side, I can do my plugs. So I cover mixed martial arts and professional wrestling over at 411mania.com. Uh, I do MLW stuff when they have a Thursday show that I'm able to review because I can't always do it live. And when they do other stuff, it, there's another guy who does it. But at the moment, it's still me. If they're going back on TV, it'll be Jeremy again until that season ends. Then it's me again for their internet stuff. That's kind of the cycle at this point with them. But when I have it, I do it. Um, they had a pay-per-view event this last weekend. So we're, should be up to, we should be back for Fusion this week. Uh, anyway, I cover that. I cover WWE SmackDown on Fridays. That's, uh, I can't say it's a lot of fun, but things seem to be moving in a good direction at the moment. So tune in for that. Um, I also cover, again, MMA events. So this coming Saturday is UFC 294. The prelims have a start time of 10 a.m. Eastern time. That's going to be eight in the morning for me. Got to wake up uh, earlier than I want to to cover the preliminary action on a pay-per-view card. Go with God. Hell, they're in Abu Dhabi and they're doing it live. They're doing it like prime time there. So, you know, that's how it goes. It is, yeah. So I'll be covering that. It's a pretty good card. If you want my full preview, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. Uh, I recorded, I actually recorded this one technically this morning. I had a family event on Sunday evening when I normally record that went late. So I recorded that thing from like, was it? 11 to 1, I think, my time, give or take. Why are you asking me? I don't know. It's not, it was. Not, I'm trying to remember. It was something like that. I know. Just how, how often do you get to quote that Blazing Saddles line? That's true. That's very true. 
And if Mark were here, he would cut. He would jump in with a quote that involved the N word at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, we're but, talking about Evil Dead. It's like that last word. It starts with an N. <laughs> so we are talking. So again, I give a full preview of that card, which shifted around a lot over the last uh, couple of days with both the main and co half of each of the main and co-main falling out and getting replaced and whether or not those fights are better now. Who knows? I leave that to you, but I talk about it. Uh, that again, if you like mixed martial arts, that show will keep you covered. It talks about the news, the UFC, Bellator on occasion, um, whatever happens to come up. I occasionally talk boxing. So again, have that at, if you're so interested. Uh, Mark brought up a little bit of our schedule, but yeah, next week, Killers of the Flower Moon, then Thursday for TV party that followed the House of Usher, which is on Netflix. Looking to start digging into that in the near in the next couple of days. So very much it's looking forward to any so of all of that. I got I got through the first episode, so sorry. Well, I'm just I'm just stalling till he gets back. Because yeah, I, I can't actually stop the show. <laughs> I, I realize I'm like I can't either, so I'm like, um, uh, stall, stall, stretch we it. Do kind of, we do kind of need Mark here to hit the end show button. But yeah, um, since I, I I've been a guest on here enough, and I just kind of want to bounce off what you said, Robert. Uh, for those of you who enjoy this, please check out the rest of the stuff because I personally am not a huge MMA fan, but I have watched several of the reviews and they are really enjoyable. There is a comedic factor to it, like everything else this this channel does. So they don't pay me to say this. Um, they don't pay me to do anything. I, I come on here for fun. None so, of us get paid. <laughs> right? It's like you're getting paid. The fuck. Oh, <laughs> you see the whole technical difficulties thing pop up because he marks like shit. Shut up, Dorian. But no. Um. Please, if you're enjoying this, check out the other shows and, you know, because they are a lot of fun. They have a lot of great people that come on here just because they love the stuff they do and and they deserve more deserve more views. Um, and again, I come on here because it's fun. And every time a horror movie pops up, I'm usually here, but I've watched their other stuff. And it's it's a lot. It is really great. So check it out. There's the point. Uh, for those of you wanting an update, apparently Mark's Wi-Fi went down. So we are kind of just vamping until he gets back to hit the end show button because I don't actually... <laughs> I, I really need to talk with him briefly and get the information for logging in so that I could potentially do that. But uh, I don't at the moment, so. Well, in that case, I, I got some um, for you, Robert. And this this is just sure. as a filmmaker, but I want I want an, an alternate opinion on it. When I got done watching Exorcist Believer, I was making my notes uh, when I got back to the hotel because I did get to actually see it at Universal Studios, which was that a lot of fun. fun. It was. Um, but... I got to a point where I realized, especially now that this is Green's second outing with a very popular horror franchise, that, and I don't say this as an insult, what these are are very expensive fan films. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't remember what director said it, but um, said that every generation has the right to tell their version or their take on a story that inspired them when they were younger. And I feel like as, as much crap as we've given Mr. Green, in a way, that's what he's doing. He wanted to tell his version of Halloween, and he did. He he loved the Exorcist. I mean, Exorcist is my favorite horror movie. I mean, it's it's like tied neck and neck with Nightmare on Elm Street. But I see these as again very expensive fan films of people just getting to um, creators getting to give their take on something that they very much loved or scared the crap out of them or both when they were kids. So, what do you think of that? I I appreciate the sentiment, and I think there's some truth to that. I. Th Part of my problem with it in this instance is I'm always leery about when um, when you talk about fan films because I feel like the batting average is low. It's very easy to be a fan of something and to not fully understand it. And Agreed. that's not and 
that's not a knock. I am fans of plenty of things that if you ask me to try and recreate, I could not in any way. But, but it'd still be fun to try. I, yeah, I just, you know, I don't need, I don't have a studio that's willing to throw $40 million at me <laughs> to try and do it. And uh, again, his his take on Halloween, I think, worked better than his take on The Exorcist because, again, his sensibilities lend themselves more to what he was able to pull off with the slasher genre than the really deft, really astute hand that you need for something like The Exorcist. Um, if we're going to try and reboot Friday the 13th in the near future, I think he might be a decent choice for that. Wouldn't be my first, but he might be a decent one. You've just got to keep him away from the stuff that needs a really cerebral approach. And that's why I say keep him. If you're going to, somebody's going to try and reboot Nightmare on Elm Street, it's overdue. And I think he would be a terrible choice for that. Like, you got, you need a, you need to have something to say in those movies. And you need, again, kind of an, you need one, a really good casting for Freddy. And then two, you need to have the right eye and the right mind for how to make those work. It was one of the it was one of the great tragedies of the last attempt at remaking Nightmare on Elm Street that you actually had a great casting choice, maybe the best casting choice you could have made. Oh yeah, for Fred, you mean right? Yeah, yeah. Not not um Numi Rapich who was just there for a paycheck. <laughs> no, not Numi Rapich, the other one. Um, because they played the same character. Yeah, uh, Ro- Rooney Mara. Was Rooney Mara? Yeah, Rooney Mara, because Numi Rapich is the original one. And, Sorry but, about that. My internet just took a crap. Yeah, you're okay. It happens. Um, but just kind of to finish my point there, you had great casting for Freddy, and one or two decent ideas. I actually love the idea of micronaps after that much insomnia, and that being how Freddy kind of gets to them. You, and the best scenes in that movie are the original ones. When they try to remake the original, it falls flat and fails miserably. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, so and, real and, quick, Hang on real quick. So, yes, we're doing the on trial for Sleepy Hollow on November 19th. And Mark will be prosecuting one of cinema's greatest monsters. That is Tim Burton. (laughs) All right. Are we ready to wrap? We are. We're just vamping till you got back. Sweet. All right, folks. Thank you for joining. Sorry about the technical difficulty there at the end. Yeah. It happens every once in a while where someone's internet on this show takes a giant dump. But I appreciate Dorian for coming on. Uh, Thank you for watching Game View Hollywood. I'm Mark. That's Robert. Be well, be safe, and behave.